One of humanity's greatest scientific accomplishments, splitting the atom, came with consequences. Specifically, it has produced a byproduct material that will continue to release energy, deadly amounts of energy, for the next 100,000 years. So far, the best solution for this advanced scientific problem is surprisingly primitive. We should hide the stuff, bury it deep in the earth like evidence of a crime. As a result, humanity has a riddle to solve. How do we warn the future about buried nuclear waste considering the unfathomable changes that 100,000 years will bring to science, culture, and language? In other words, how do we warn someone about a danger so long-lasting that the language of the warning will perish before the danger itself does? Join us as we discuss humanity's ideas for creating an eternal caution label, including genetically modified pets and a nuclear religion. You're listening to Race and Tyler Talk Wikipedia, episode 37, Yucca Mountain, part 2. Okay, you've got our getting to know you question today. That is correct. So today I want to know what smells are most, for you, most closely associated with your childhood, or what smells are going to bring you back most powerfully to being a, a young little Tyler? Oh, good, good, good question. <laughs> um, I'm thinking of, I thought of two kinds of answers specifically for this. One is a smell that is explicit. And that is a Bath and Body Works hand soap okay. <laughs> that my mom kept in her bathroom. And the flavor is coconut lime verbena i'm pretty sure i have that right okay the reason that i realized this is i once went somewhere like last (laughs) year and they had that hand soap and i i smelled it and i immediately was taken back to my childhood i was like oh there's mom's bathroom it was like that scene in ratatouille where the guy eats it and is like taken back in 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 his mind he like flashes to being a little child that's great oh i haven't seen ratatouille but i believe you oh you should see ratatouille i I should see ratatouille yeah (laughs) um so that particular bath and body works hand soap the other kind of answer i think is not explicit and that's just the smell of my grandparents houses like yeah grandma in utah her house smells like grandma's house like Uh grandma (laughs) Her house smells like Grandma Jean's house. Those are, <laughs> like, you can't describe it, but you walk in the door and it's like, oh, I'm here. I'm five yep. years old. It's Christmas morning. Yep. That's where we are. Yeah. Um, I think I think all grandparents' house, like, every grandparent house has, has a smell to it. Yes. And they're all kind of similar, and I don't know what it is. It's like the way that all books smell the same and all hospitals smell the same. It's just the way it is. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And for my grandparents, it's like, it's pleasant. It's not like it's a bad yeah. smell. Yeah, I no, just, no. but it's so familiar. You're like, oh, we're back. I'm home, awesome. you know? Yeah. Um, well, for me, the first one that I immediately thought of is um, something about the summer up um, where I grew up had, is very like pregnant with smells for me and so and one of them specifically is um i was 
often for for most of my growing up years was in charge of mowing the lawn and so the smell of like the the exhaust from the lawnmower and that like freshly cut grass that's a really that's a really powerful one when I that was one of the first things I thought of when I heard um somebody ask this question and then the other one I have kind of a gross (laughs) a gross answer (laughs) I have a very one so that's a general smell anytime I smell it I'm like oh man that reminds me of being a kid and mowing the lawn and I have to mow the lawn before I can go down to the pool and swim with my friends yeah Uh, but the other one is um uh out at uh the ranch that with a little farm that my grandpa owned there's a irrigation pond which you saw over the fourth of July yeah um, one time my brother and I were out there on the pond and our fishing net, just like a little net had fallen in the water. The last time we'd been there, we'd lost it. And so then we, um, we were out in this little boat that we had and we saw the net kind of sticking up out of the water, stuck in the weeds or whatever. And I was like, Oh, the net. And I pulled it out and a salamander had become lodged in the net. Oh, uh, weeks before <laughs> day, I guess not weeks. Cause it had only been a couple days or maybe even just a day, but there was a, a dead salamander uh, caught in this thing and it smelled of, it was a very particular smell that now just thinking about it, I can, I can still smell it, which is such a, a weird Whoa. being a person that like, if I say, <laughs> what does your grandma Jean smell, house smell like, like you can it make your, yeah, it's mind. the strangest yeah. thing. Yeah, but I I have that with I think about that every once in a while and I'm like oh, it's the worst worst smell and it just for some reason at the you know my brain little brain was forming and that that got in there real deep <laughs> and you still got it I still got it oh for sure That's yeah impressive. how old were you oh ten something like that wow at the oldest ten and it was one That's time great. That's the wild thing because like a grandparent's house you've smelled over and over but that was one time I smelled it just one time smell. yeah I can still smell. <laughs> That's great. All right. Part two of our Yucca Mountain episode about how to deal with nuclear waste. And in our previous episode, we purposefully hid the Wikipedia article that we've been reading about uh, in preparation for this. But we can now tell you officially what that article is called. The article on Wikipedia is Long Time Nuclear Waste Warning Messages. And to reiterate this, (laughs) I think this is the craziest article I've ever stumbled upon. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of one that has beaten it yet. So very excited to be getting into it today. Yeah. So, yeah. It's just, it's absolutely, I will get to why I think this, but I feel like this is the entire human experience is in this whole, this one Wikipedia page. Like... (laughs) All of art and all of humanity and all of the human struggle is in this page. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So if you um, did a little bit of homework in the last episode, we asked you to think about ways that you might want to handle the problem of warning future generations who may not know our language, who may not know anything about us, warning future human civilizations about nuclear waste you know, disposed on earth somewhere. Um, now we're going to get into methods that actually have been proposed. So think, think about what you may have thought of and see if they line up with uh, some of the suggestions that have come from scientists. 
One of the ways that scientists have proposed handling nuclear waste warning is to create a series of messages that while they are legible to us in English today or in whatever language, you know, you speak today, um, they seem a little bit weird. And I think the easiest way to, to get into this is just to start by reading the messages. So we'll go ahead and read some messages that have been proposed, you know, put them on signs at a nuclear waste site, have it in, you know, big lettering to scare people away. And here are some of the messages. This place is a message and part of a system of messages. Pay attention to it. Sending this message was important to us. We considered ourselves to be a powerful culture. This place is not a place of honor. No highly esteemed deed is commemorated here. Nothing valued is here. What is here was dangerous and repulsive to us. This message is a warning about danger. The danger is in a particular location. It increases towards a center. The center of danger is here, of a particular size and shape and below us. The danger is still present in your time as it was in ours. The danger is to the body and it can kill. The form of the danger is an emanation of energy. The danger is unleashed only if you substantially disturb the place physically. This place is best shunned and left uninhabited. End of message. I need, I need like a cigarette after that. <laughs> it's... Yeah, it's very tense, right? <laughs> it requires a lot of energy, I think, to process to everything that's being said. Yes. Um, what do you think about these messages? First of all, why are they not written normally? Why do these sound so weird? Yeah. So what strikes me about this, this is the conclusion I've come to about these. So we talk about this and, and the Wikipedia article kind of frames it this way. Like, well, these have to be understandable in 10,000 or 50,000 or a hundred thousand years. And we like to put that in terms of, you know, how, you know, how far distant that is to us in reverse back so like oh yeah the bronze age you know way way back you know yeah. ten thousand years ago and it strikes me that the it's almost as if we're trying to talk to the bronze age when we've written this yeah uh, and i don't think that that's necessarily on purpose i think that might be just we're trying to get to some sort of a least common denominator in order to communicate but it feels like they're trying to explain the danger of radiation to you know a, a caveman or someone from the indus valley civilization um and so it, it's very abstract it's almost poetic um yeah and i think some of the things that they're concerned about here are interesting so this is not a place of honor no highly esteemed deed is commemorated here nothing valued is here um that's interesting that they could could perhaps misunderstand the you know whatever it is we decide to build here in order to keep people out that they might have thought oh this was this is a significant place this is an important place this was a temple or a you know the site of a battle or something totally 
Yeah. And it's, it's not right. And, and um, you can, we're worried by writing that we're worried about the problem that we discussed in the Nazca lines, which is just people looking at it and being like, Oh, this was probably of religious significance. You know, we don't really know. So we're just going to say, yeah. it's like, this was very symbolic to them. And so I find that really interesting, but yeah, I think the language is probably just trying to communicate something without using it. It's, it's like a game of, um, what's that game taboo like i can't say certain yeah. words because i don't think they'll they might not mean anything one day so i'm going to communicate this in as you know as basic of language as possible so that you know like i said i think we're accidentally talking to cavemen even though it, in theory yeah. we're trying to talk to a future civilization if you imagine the opposite of this message or the message that would be written today it would probably say something like danger a thousand feet below the surface uranium and plutonium radioactive material yeah you know and all of a sudden like none of those words may be legible in the future right. maybe they don't know our system of measurement like a thousand feet below the surface maybe right. they don't know what uranium and plutonium are maybe they're called something else yeah radiation is a very loaded word you know these are all words that we understand because of scientific context that we've grown up in. But again, it's assuming that that context is gone for some reason in the future. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to this a little bit more in a minute, but um, this also sounds like something that, you know, Tom Cruise would read off the side of a temple in a movie. <laughs> and it's like, and somebody would be like, we can't believe these ancient traditions, the Egyptians, you know, they're, this is all, this is just trying, they're just trying to keep us out. And he's like, no, we have to listen to the warnings. Um, because it is written in this kind of like necromancy, you know, language, uh -huh. like the danger is present in your time. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's almost beautiful language. Like sitting here listening to you read it, it's kind of thrilling, but yeah, it's just, it's trying to communicate something that, like you said, if, if, if the frame changes really quickly, any sentence you wrote to communicate this would cease to make sense. Uh-huh. If they assume that some of our language is going to deteriorate, have they assumed enough? Are these messages actually clear enough? Like, do they need to be dumbed down any further? Right. So this is where I, I go back and forth on this. And I, I really... Um, not to pull back the curtain too far, but I don't think too much about our topics before we discuss them. We prepare a little, we, we know, make sure we want to know what we talk about, but they don't usually follow me for that long. It's just like, man, this is so interesting. But I have really struggled about how to talk about this. I have so many thoughts. And I, one of the big things, the conclusions I've come to is, I feel like the things we're talking about and we'll talk about, they're simultaneously, or I can't decide between, are they not thought through enough or are we way overthinking this and yeah. and i i feel like these these um these are a good example like we're trying to use all of this kind of obtuse language when you could just say you know it feels like there might be more clear ways to say this and we're imagining kind of a more romantic situation where we're we're trying to reach through the past into time and maybe it's not necessary like you said maybe it's or maybe it's we, we're like you said maybe this language is going to fail and what we need to say is just, you know, in some other way, this place is bad. Please get away. 
Yeah, please. bad. Exactly right. <laughs> So that was one way of tackling the messaging problem through kind of a semiotic study of how do we break down the language in a way that's going to make it intelligible. Another way that has been proposed is not so so much semiotic, but religious. It has been proposed that we create a religion. Uh, Specifically, the words that Wikipedia uses are the most loaded phrase I've ever seen on this website, an atomic priesthood. If you would like a band name, I would suggest taking atomic priesthood. Um, And the atomic priesthood would be a panel of experts comparable to the Catholic Church, which has preserved its own message for almost 2,000 years. The priesthood, Wikipedia says, would preserve the knowledge of radioactive waste locations and dangers through rituals and myths. How is anybody talking about anything other than what you just said? (laughs) Honestly, I don't know. (laughs) How are conversations occurring that are not about the atomic priesthood? (laughs) If we were at the office right now, this is all I would talk about at the water cooler. Yes, exactly. The atomic priesthood, yeah. But would this work? (laughs) So I think this is one where it's a clever conceit, but no, I think that this, I think that again, it's this whole idea of this Wikipedia page, I think has some fatal flaws and I think this is one of them. So how could you expect the, the, the just, I guess the underlying assumption behind this whole page and this whole idea in the future is like, language is going to fail or at least all change so drastically that it won't, you know, even be functioning. Um, All of these things are going to fail. So the idea that some sort of ritual system that we're going to just invent right now and that we all agree is just, you know, being created, the idea that that would catch on and exist in perpetuity, like a lot of cult leaders have really wished that they could have done that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That's a great point. Yeah. I think um, the part of this section that is looking to the Catholic Church as an example is pretty admirable because, yeah, 2,000 years is a really long time for an institution to be around. However, the idea that you can just make one of those (laughs) (laughs) is naive. Like you said, every cult leader ever has tried to do that. Yeah. You can't just make something up and assume that everybody's going to follow it because they want to follow it, you know? Yeah. You're like making something up and people would be like, how popular do you hope this is? And you're like, I don't know. I was thinking like maybe Catholicism. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, do you want to go to a church where every week they're like, okay, remember, we're talking about (laughs) nuclear radiation this week. I mean, that's the point of going to this church. It's not really why people go to church. Right. Yeah. It couldn't. Yeah. (laughs) The, the, like I said, the conceit is clever, but the, the structure just doesn't really add up. Like what, what would be, you know, if, if you could now, if you could go to a, like a foreign planet, right? Like this is something from Star Trek, right? Like you go to a foreign planet and you say, you could just inject it all at once and say, 
this is the real truth that you've got to grasp onto and you have to shun this and you have to accept this and you have to follow these ideas that might work. But just the fact that like we're, 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 you know, language is going to fall away and not, and not, you know, continue, but that these myths and rituals will, um, and that people will believe them in earnest, not just as a function of, of, you know, reducing contact with nuclear waste seems it's the greatest thing I've ever read, but I don't think it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think a cool thing that this brings up is that religious history does connect us with our past in an unexpected way. Mm. We can learn so what people valued in, you know, 500 AD just by looking at the church that they subscribed to, you know, it connects yeah. us in a way that I think is quite unexpected. Um, but yeah, as to making your own, I mean, <laughs> God be with you, I guess. <laughs> I will, I will say, uh, unfortunately, no one on the Wikipedia page has included, you know, outlines for maybe what these priests would wear. What right. would the Pope look, you know, like what's right. the, what's the uh, Vatican for the atomic priesthood? I, I would love to see some drawings here. Yes, but definitely. As of yet, they have not been provided. And and this probably, you know, almost goes without saying, but if you think about like your Pope Joan entry, right? Like when when people say, well, the Catholic Church, it's like, well, the Catholic Church has been has been a lot of things, if you want to think about it like that. It hasn't been like one thing. It's, it's oh done a lot of stuff, you know. It's it's been it's been had different attitudes and different postures and it's been very you know um like militaristic at certain points and then it goes in these other directions and so the idea that like the thing that you want to survive as the through line would survive seems very unlikely and i i read elsewhere the people who talked about this or the criticism of this idea is like well you know not to put too fine a point on it but like this could potentially lead to you know power struggles and um you know, hierarchies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're basically saying like, you know, large religious institutions kind of have inherent issues sometimes. So maybe this <laughs> might also lead to like, you know, maybe some bloodlust or like some assassinations. <laughs> like you would be creating a system that, you know, might encourage that. And again, hoping that, okay, that might happen, but we're definitely going to remember, don't go digging at Yucca Mountain, which... Oh, I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, that's like the core doctrine. Yeah, because that's the only thing we want to we want to accomplish with this, uh -huh. and so building a whole priesthood around it feels like both overkill and you know underkill. <laughs> I'm just deathly curious to see what rituals they would come up with. What are the rituals that we are <laughs> we're bringing to mass every week? I mean, you know? I guess it would, I guess it would be something that values, like you would need to build a system that values, um, like, like science the, or scientific experimentation. I don't know. Right. Yeah. See, and that's a great question. Is the goal to like perpetuate the under, like a way to understand that this is dangerous yeah. or would it be like, no, we're just basically going to come up with a boogeyman figure and teach you to fear it through these rituals. Yeah. And it, you know, the, basically, okay, hell exists in Nevada and, you know, 
you'd never go there because of these reasons that, you know, are, we're going to hope survive, uh-huh. you know, does that make sense? Like, is it just going to be, we want the result of this mythology we're going to create people don't go to Yucca Mountain or is it we want to perpetuate the people's ability to understand why you shouldn't go to Yucca Mountain? Yeah, definitely. The myth-making aspect of this as well, I think is interesting because, you know, creating a priesthood is one thing, but also maybe creating like a Bible story about, you know, Noah's flood, except instead of water, it was, nuclear waste and it went to a specific spot now we don't go there anymore you know i i'm interested to see like what people would come up with but again how do you just make a legendary story you know right right. i don't think (laughs) again every author has been trying to write the yeah or the iliad it's not that easy (laughs) yeah Um, i i would love to see the cultural shifts that it brings though because early on you said anybody who's going to try this you know God be with you. And would it then be like, may the nucleus guide you? you know? <laughs> the nucleus guide you. And with you as well. Yeah. <laughs> so atomic priesthood aside, there have been other suggestions for how this could work. And a lot of these suggestions come from a 1993 report from Sandia National Laboratories, which is, um, you know, it's uh, part of the National Nuclear Security Administration. It's basically as ideas to think about nuclear energy, nuclear safety, all of that stuff. And so one of the um, ideas that was explored in this report was physical something physical we could put on the land that would help future civilizations regardless of what they understood to um basically to reject this land or to shun to shun it and realize that it wasn't um wasn't fit for human habitation so there's a few of them with kind of similar themes but i just love picturing this so the first is called landscape of thorns so the, the idea for this was a mass of many irregularly sized spikes protruding from the ground in all directions. So huge, like, imagine wow. like you know, 200 Washington monuments, just all hodgepodge, like, you know, yeah. like, a, like a stack of needles on the ground. Um, I guess the idea there is, so first of all, it would take a lot of work to clear that out in order to like dig or build stuff. And it would also clearly indicate um, this was done on purpose and this is not a welcoming location, right? Like this is not, somebody's actively trying to get you to not be here. So that's interesting. Um, And there's a few variations of that idea, but basically huge spikes. So you couldn't land a plane there. You couldn't, you know, it'd be very hard to do anything. So it's a Um, big area. Uh, presumably a big area yeah around it um and i know that a lot of these um ideas were had specifically had yucca mountain in mind because like we said in the last episode yucca mountain has kind of always been it's been like yeah we're gonna get yucca mountain all put together and then that's where we'll put our nuclear waste and it's never come to pass um but there's other places on earth um i think there's one in norway or finland or something where they've are you know planning on putting stuff or may have already begun putting stuff into the earth. But a lot of these ideas were like, what are we going to do? Not just to a future location, but to Yucca mountain in Nevada. Um, 
and yeah so it would be very large i don't know exactly how far out you'd have to go with these spikes but like mm -hmm. a, you know pretty big circumference another idea was menacing earthworks so the idea here was large, you know, shaped mounds of earth, basically sculptures, like terraform sculptures, shaped like lightning bolts emanating from the edges of a square site. Wow. The shape would thus be strikingly visible from the air um, or maybe even from hills built around it so that you, if you want to get to this site, you have to climb up, 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 up. And then you, once you reach the crest of these artificial hills, you look down and you can see you know, this big mural on the desert floor. Um, the, and then there's a few that are um, kind of a cluster that are similar. So um, the, uh, the idea of a black hole, an enormous slab of basalt or concrete that has been dyed black, rendering the land uninhabitable and unfarmable. <laughs> Whoa. Um, a rubble landscape, large square-shaped pile of dynamited rock, which over time would still appear anomalous and give a sense of something having been destroyed. So, you know, even if the landscape changes, because, you know, 10, 20,000 years ago, things that were oceans yeah. are now deserts, things that were deserts are now oceans um, in some places. And so you'd want to be able, you know, like it said, keep it anomalous so that no matter what has gone on, they would say, oh, people were here and they did this on purpose. You know, this wasn't mm -hmm. naturally formed. And then maybe my favorite, because the image is just really cool, is a network of hundreds of house-sized stone blocks dyed black and arranged in an irregular square grid, suggesting a network of streets which feel ominous and lead nowhere. The blocks would be intended to make the very large area, once again, unsuitable for farming or future use of any kind oh and boy so, <laughs> here's my credit well for, what do you think of that <laughs> i like that one i mean that is very spooky yeah but i also think um the more interesting they are they kind of invite attention don't exactly. they like yeah, a landscape exactly that sounds very cool to have a, a field full of Washington monuments, but then all of a sudden you've got tourists going there to, to go see it. Right. That's, that's exactly my thought. Like the more, the more attention you draw to it, it's like the Streisand effect, right. That we, I think. Yeah. Uh -huh. episode. Like the more attention you draw to this place in a way, the more people you're going to draw at least on some level. And Especially so, if it's like aesthetically kind of interesting. You well, know, that's this a, city, it's like, oh, I would go see a ghost town, you know? Yeah, or large mounds of earth shaped like lightning bolts. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I think anyone who's been nine years old can understand the idea of like, you know, somebody saying, don't come over here. And you're like, well, obviously, yeah. the first thing we're going to do is go over there and see what's going on, you know? Imagine so, if Stonehenge had actually been created as a warning message. Yeah did not work folks like yeah or, or the, the Nazca lines effect. right they're like yeah, don't yeah people are specifically now going to go see those you know so uh your stonehenge um observation has given me an idea here's my alternative like physical marker earthwork suggestion okay whatever the furthest possible location from that place in nevada is like the other side of the world <laughs> So like somewhere in Kyrgyzstan or whatever, we're going to build 
um, like the coolest possible thing that we can think of that'll last forever. <laughs> and yeah, like, um, do Disneyland exactly like a like an indestructible Disneyland, so that people will want to live over there and not buy. Or we could build something really, you know, this is trying to be awful, but might be enticing. What if we built just like a, um, like surely the IRS is going to exist in 20,000 years. What if we just build like a tax, you know, some sort of tax an- analysis center that'd keep people away. But yeah, I'm, oh. I'm voting for an eternal Kyrgyzstan Disneyland. Uh, that's a very good idea. And maybe in that sense, Stonehenge is working. Maybe exactly. Stonehenge is the opposite point of the uh, Stone Age danger that was left behind for us yeah. to worry about. Also, there's your second band name of, of the podcast, Eternal Kyrgyzstan Disneyland. <laughs> or that's that should be Atomic Priesthood's first album will be called Eternal Kyrgyzstan. Oh, good, good answer. Now lightning bolt mountains made by people is pretty bananas a nuclear priesthood is definitely bananas but buckle up for the idea of (laughs) um genetically modified cats so one suggestion is that we could genetically modify cats in such a fashion that they would change color when in the presence of dangerous levels of radiation. Um, the idea behind this is the, um, well, it's a fact, the observable fact that humans have domesticated and lived with cats for many, many thousands of years. And there doesn't seem to be a good reason for why that would change. Um, and that is an observation that I think is probably accurate. Like, for all the things that could change, I don't see why dogs and cats would no longer be um, kept around. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. They're very um, hardy species. They, you know, there's a lot going on there. They're fully ingratiated into human society in a way that I can't see dying out, really. Um, yeah. Maybe that's myopic of us, but that's one thing that I saw and I was like, oh, I do think that. I do think that whatever form human life has in 10,000 years, we'll probably still have cats and dogs. <laughs> that's a great point. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's the, bril- I think the, the, the clever part of this idea. Um, the part that leaves me wondering and other people wondering, including critics of this idea is, so how do you genetically modify a cat to make <laughs> it change color in the face of radiation? And how do you ensure that those genes would, continue to exist, you know, in a hundred thousand years, which is once again, the goal here. Um, so that's kind of a problem, but it would make sense that if families have these cats and if they had the ability to just be walking, you know, Geiger counters and, and turn orange when they get in the presence of radiation, it would work quite well. Um, and it, it, it was also suggested that the, the significance of these cats, these like special radiation cats could be enforced through myths and fairy tales and stories that get put into the culture, which again, I don't know how you implant something into the culture. Culture forms kind of itself. And I think attempts to, to artificially create, not just culture, but like, okay, this is going to be a big thing that's going to last forever and culture is, is doomed to fail. But... So this is a wacky idea, 
but somebody felt very strongly about it, strong enough that they wrote um, a song. And Tyler, I'll let you explain the song a little bit. You're our music expert. And I mean, what a story on this song. The idea of the song, we'll listen to it in a minute, but keep this in mind. The idea in creating this song was design it to be so catchy and annoying that it might be handed down from generation to generation over a span of 10,000 years. Let's give it a listen. Don't change color, could you keep your color, could you stay that pretty gray? Don't change color, could you keep your color, could you keep sickness away? Don't change color, could you keep your color, could you please, cause if you do, or glow your luminescent eyes, you're all gonna have to move. So don't change color, could you keep your color, could you stay that pretty gold? Don't change color, could you keep your color, we'll keep you from the cold. So don't change color, could you keep your color, cause you need your kind around. The minute you change your looks, we're bringing you with us out of town. Don't change color, could you keep your color, could you know I don't know why? Don't change color, could you keep your color, could you God said it's not right? So don't change color, or flash your eyes, cause Lord knows if you do. I hope you think it's cozy in your travel case, cause it's time to move. So don't change color, could you keep your color, could you stay that midnight black? Radiation can change and flies and kill, and that's a fact. The radiation, whatever that is, is something we don't want. Cause it withers our crops and it burns our skin and it turns our livestock on. So don't change color. Little kitty, don't flash your eyes. So don't change color. Little kitty, don't flash your eyes. So don't change color. I think they got the catchy and annoying part <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty um, annoying. Yeah. And, and somewhat, the, somewhat catchy. The, the cat, Yeah, kind of catchy. I mean, is it that catchy? I don't know. You actually asked me earlier, like, do you remember that, how the song goes? And I was like, not really. I don't think yeah. it sticks that well. Maybe if we kept listening to it or yeah. if you had kids in school recited every morning or so I don't know you know like I don't know what to do the lyrics are kind of funny though there when it says uh the radiation whatever that is yeah well it's really bad it withers our crops and I don't remember the my favorite part is it says if the if the cat changes color god says that's not right yeah uh uh-huh and so again like wait the idea of radiation and nuclear energy has failed us and no longer exists, but this song persists. But the song persists, right? Yeah. I think it's funny because the whole notion of this whole thing is suggesting that we're not going to be able to communicate with the future. Right. So writing on a song in yeah. 15 English, you know, it's going to last for maybe a hundred years or so, but eventually it's probably going to be unintelligible. Yeah, and I, I was I thinking, totally like, 
I don't. Do, can you think of a song that's really old, like a song that's ten thousand years old that we still sing today? No, right? No. As a matter of fact, I can't think of five hundred years old personally. Dang. Yeah, I think they exist. I know that we have some really old songs. Well, um, we have poetry that's survived that long. But like a song that could get, you know, an earworm that gets stuck in your... Yeah, uh, that like, I'm assuming maybe moms sing it as a lullaby to their kids, you know, or right. little kids sing it on the playground or, or things yeah. like that. That's kind of what I'm picturing. Mary had a little lamb or exactly. a lullaby or something, maybe, you know. Yeah. So I will say that um, I... In, prepping for this song or for this episode, I was playing that song on my phone and my daughter came up to me and said the the very adorable thing that she says right now, when she hears a song, she likes or knows, she says, dad, look at what I'm hearing. And um, so she came up and the song was going and she was like, her eyes got real big. She's like, Hey, look at what I'm hearing. She was very into it. And it does kind of have like a, (laughs) like a, like a wiggles vibe or like a children's music, you know? Yeah, it does. She's instantly started singing along with it. Don't change color, Kitty. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's sort of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maybe it's going to work. Yeah. Um, but it's it's so funny to me also. This is all kind of like the hubris of this idea. So the song was written by an artist um, who goes by the name Emperor X. His real name is um, Chad Matheny. He's an American songwriter. He wrote the song in 2014. Um, and like you said, he wrote it to be so catchy that it would be handed down from generation to generation over a span of 10,000 years. And I've got to imagine that this is not completely done in earnest. Like he's got to know. Oh, it it feels a little tongue in cheek. A little bit. Yeah. The radiation, whatever that is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, and it it occurs to me that that's he's probably you know a little bit in on the joke on that, but it also like we were saying before about the Catholic Church, like you know this guy was like, well, I guess today I better sit down and write a song that would be popular, and oh, I don't know, how about a hundred thousand years? <laughs> like if you could do that, everyone would do that, man. Everyone would do it, yeah. I um, think it does. There's a funny question that comes out of this, which is like. How long do we give Baby Shark? Right. Does that was, get 10,000 years? That's exactly what I was going to ask about. And to use as an example, um, Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style, yeah. That song took over the world. Everybody heard it. It was stuck in everybody's head. But I guarantee you that in 100 years, children will not know Gangnam Style. Gone, right? Yeah. Although I think you might be right. Baby Shark might have some staying power. <laughs> I would say Baby Shark over Gangnam Style. I think sure. Gangnam Style is probably already over. Maybe, yeah. you oh, know, yes. I don't know we're still listening to that. But Baby Shark, Earworm, I think is a good good descriptor of Baby Shark. Yeah. Speaking of songs that turn my child into a robot. <laughs> I tried so hard, but she, she got some of that sweet, sweet Baby Shark in her veins. And now she can't. It's stop. the hubris we cannot dictate. Right, yeah. Nobody, I'm sure nobody thought, the people who sat down and wrote that song thought that it would do what it did. Um, But 
you know and that and that's kind of what we're saying is like you can't really predict culture and this whole project is trying to do that in a way yeah these cats but i just can't get over this (laughs) idea like (laughs) these radiation cats that change color in the presence of dangerous levels of radiation okay i would love to have that now (laughs) right yeah we don't that 10,000 years in the future I would like to have that kind of cat right now that's exactly. very useful and, uh, presumably it's not possible otherwise it would be done but I don't know maybe uh, scientists are just kind of ignoring that avenue and eventually someone will go explore it so you said earlier that this article seems to have the whole of humanity contained in the article I really agree with that point and I do think that we could spend like days trying to make sense of everything that we've just talked about, right? At yeah. least another hour. But I feel like I could talk about it for a long time. Um, so what are some of the implications that this whole thing brings up? I think speaking from a broader picture, there's a really interesting story happening on this Wikipedia page, which is an idea that we have to warn the future about our present conditions and nuclear waste. And an assumption also that future civilizations are going to forget the past. They're going to forget 2021, the United States. It's not going to be in their memory anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... I- and not not just 2021 like we've talked about well maybe english will evolve in 10,000 years that's yeah. highly likely um but then an underlying assumption there is and we won't be able to translate it right cuz languages certainly evolve but um you know it seems like we have put enough of a dent on the earth that english is going to be translatable in the future is my guess the other assumption that i think underlies all of this and really the only reason that this whole project makes any sense is that they don't understand nuclear theory. Yeah. Like if you understand what radiation is, then you could in some, some pretty simple diagrams, pretty simple, you know, equations or whatever, like um, atomic numbers and stuff, you could communicate what was under the earth Mm -hmm. and a, a civilization advanced enough, you know, to do some of the things that we're assuming are going to happen is also going to be able to understand what nuclear energy is. And so we're kind of living in some ways in a planet of the apes world where like we've blown it all up and gone back to nothing, which is not impossible. And, you know, should, I guess, be considered for if you're trying to prep for 10,000 years in the future. But if a civilization just continues to progress and there's no like cataclysmic asteroid V dinosaurs thing, surely they're going to have radiation detectors geiger counters we have those now yeah yeah exactly it it assumes some kind of catastrophe right that Mm. all knowledge would be lost all ability of translating our current knowledge would be lost you know it's a widespread differences that i I think it's assuming a lot Uh, an interesting thing though is i don't know about you i personally would think that within the circle of people that I know, my guess is that most people don't believe that we're going to get that far. I think a lot of people believe that we're going to be done before 10,000 years. Maybe you believe in like a religious coming 
or maybe it's global warming is going to wipe out humanity and then we're just dead or whatever. Yeah. Or, or some sort of solar event. It just be like yeah. a solar event or, or something that, that wipes the face of the earth. Yeah. I don't know how many earth. people, yeah, <laughs> nuclear war, uh-huh. I don't know personally how many people think that we would even get to that point, right. which is, a you know, I don't want to say that's a dangerous way of thinking, but that's the way of thinking that's like, in the end, pretty self-centered, right? If we right. do make it to 10,000 years, then yeah, we're going to wish that we had written everything down and that we had notified where the nuclear waste is. Yeah. And I mean, I find it kind of ironic that one of the top ways that people are worried that humans will make themselves not be in existence in 10,000 years is the very thing we're worried about warning them about, right? Which is nuclear yeah. weapons, nuclear power. Yeah. Uh-huh. Such a dangerous thing. Yeah. 10,000 years is such an interesting like milestone that I think keeps getting brought up because 10,000 years is kind of the window that we're familiar with. If you think of the past, you know, that goes all the way about back to about 8,000 BC. And that's the window in which you start learning in school, like, oh, the Bronze Age and, you know, ancient Egypt and civilizations. But before 10,000 years, we don't know a lot about those people who who were around it's kind of before the cradle of civilization and everything so 10,000 years is like it's like all we know you know maybe we're able to predict the next window of 10,000 years but we don't have any experience with what's beyond that yeah yeah it'd be like it'd be like asking you know a Cro-Magnon man or woman tell me how you think you could <laughs> talk <laughs> talk to race and Tyler in 2021 yeah it's 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 absurd yeah do you think that there's anything that um anything else that we should be warning the future about that isn't maybe nuclear waste facebook yeah uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> i mean radiation really is the worst thing yeah. it's like anything else in our civilization if you were to stumble upon it in a field you'd be all right right yeah but... i mean and and really the reason is because everything becomes obsolete right yeah like for instance landmines landmines are a big there's like anti-landmine advocacy oh, yeah you know because it's this dangerous weapon that's put in the ground and then once the war moves or is over or whatever there's yeah. still these explosives in the ground and some poor you know french farmer or vietnamese farmer yeah. is going to step on it and blow his leg off and so people are concerned about that and obviously rightly so but eventually it's not gonna that's not gonna be dangerous anymore um mm -hmm. but we have managed to create something that will be dangerous so far beyond our reach you know which is a testament to really how how bananas it was that we did that in 1945, you know, we really did unleash some, some pretty serious power there. Right. The fact that Pandora's box was just opened in the 1940s and yeah. we had lived this whole 10,000 years previously without ever doing anything that dangerous, you know, yeah. it's really stunning. We've talked a lot already about how futile this seems. You know, it doesn't seem like something you can really control. Even, you know, definitely can't control how lasting a religion is going to be. 
or how lasting a song is going to be or genetically modified cats. But even the messages are difficult to control to control as well because you don't know what the future is going to understand, you know? Right. So there's like a, it's kind of an interesting field of emotions here. That's like, what is this really getting at? Like (laughs) if we have no ability to warn the future at all, how selfless of a thing is this actually to do, you know, to spend time thinking about how we could, genetically modify cats and make messages that will be understood more than a way to help the future. They almost just seem like an attempt to preserve the present that we're living in. And there's almost a sense of like fear, right? That we're afraid that our society is going to fall away and we're trying to cling to some idea that will keep it permanent. And we realize we don't have that control. Um. I, yeah, the, one of the reasons why I said this is all about, you know, this is all of humanity and, and everything inside of it is because I think this all comes down to f- fear of death. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Which is, you know, in art and in the humanities is as old as art and humanities, you know, Gilgamesh yeah. or whatever you want to point back to. Um, and yeah, I think that's exactly what it's about. I, I remember reading, I mean, death is incomprehensible regardless of what you um, believe happens after we die. It's just, nobody's, you know, I can't tell you what it's going to feel like. I can't tell you what it's going to be like. And that, you know, is weird. (laughs) It's this big, it's this big existential burden that we all carry that um, we're all going to die. And nobody really can tell you too much useful information about that. And, um, and so I, I, so for instance, I was reading, I, I was looking at an obituary for some reason recently and thinking about, oh, somebody who died, they, they died. Um, I think they said they wanted to see some political thing happen. They either wanted to see something about the president not being the president anymore. They wanted to see a woman get elected president or something mm. and they died. And I just remember thinking like, it gives me, like you said, kind of the word fear. Like I get this weird fear feeling in my mind, not to think about life in, you know, a thousand years after I'm dead, but just to think about like the year after I die, all the stuff I almost saw. Does that make sense? Like this person who died yeah. right before, you know, I, again, I really don't remember what it was, but before Kamala Harris became vice president, they were super jazzed about that or whatever. Yeah. Um like they died days before it happened and they're never, you know, at least as far as we can say, again, we have our separate uh, theology podcast for anyone who wants to go listen to that. But um, <laughs> as far as, you know, anyone can say, like that person isn't aware as far as, you know, we conceive somebody being aware of um, the fact that that thing happened. It, you know, they died a week before it happened. And so that gives me that weird dread feeling um in some ways like yeah the week after i die i almost made it to that because mm. i'm not gonna see you know i'm not gonna see five thousand years in the future like you asked me that question as i get to know you question recently and that i don't i can't think on that scale but i can think just made it another year maybe i would see mm. people living on mars or whatever and i think that's exactly what this is about we we're being asked to put an expiration date on, on our species and 
or or in the act of putting an expiration date on our species we're all thinking about death which is coming for you this message has been brought to you thank you for coming to my ted talk (laughs) we don't like to comprehend our individual deaths but we also don't like to comprehend our collective deaths you know when we study in history the Roman Empire was so great and then it fell after like 500 years. Everyone who's reading that is like, oh yeah, well that's never going to happen to us, you know? Oh, that's interesting that you say that because I think I would say we actually love to contemplate in some ways and maybe it's as a a way of dealing with the fact that we don't want to contemplate our, um, you know, our species death or our individual death. But like, think about all the, um, post-apocalyptic stuff and all of the, well, just like you said, the fall of Rome, like people are obsessed with this stuff. And I think it's because it is sort of a proxy for, um, you know, understanding our own death and I don't know. Maybe it's the one kind of death that we can observe, you know, we can't know what happens when we die, but we can know what happens when the Roman empire died. We didn't, you know, we went through that and we saw historically what happened. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, I would love to have some smart person write, you know, some thoughts about that, like this idea. And I mean, I'm sure it already exists. I could go read it on JSTOR, but like a post-apocalyptic stuff, zombie apocalypse stuff as a, as a way of dealing with death in the modern Coping era. with death. That's, yeah. Yeah. Especially in a time where some, like, yeah. yeah, where people argue that like in a modern culture, we're getting very far removed from death. Like a hundred years ago, you would have been killing a lot of your own food or at least seeing it be killed or being connected to its killing. You probably would see a lot more dead bodies, you know, in in 1910 than you did in 2010. And and like deaths in the community. Yeah. Yeah. And heaven help you 1710, right? You know, Um, may may the nucleus protect us from 1710. (laughs) And, um, so as we get further removed from death and, you know, 2021 is pretty comfortable. I don't really have to think about that all that much, mm-hmm. um, at least in the, the place where I live. And maybe that's why we were making so much zombie apocalypse and end of the world art. Um, and maybe that's why this idea, like we've both said, is the most interesting thing we've ever read because it's the death of our species and, and it's our own individual death all wrapped up. <laughs> One of my favorite artistic uh, motifs is, like you said, like um, how do we deal with death, and or the idea that you uh, you kind of create immortality through art. Um, an idea that I love from Stephen Sondheim is that the only ways to immortalize yourself are through children and art. Mm-hmm. Either you create some art, or you create your children, and then your children are therefore you in the next generation, etc. And this whole article really tests that idea. <laughs> it's trying to say, okay, I got another one. We can make orange cats. Yeah. I yeah, guess cats well, we, are already we... orange. I, I guess they would be neon cats. I don't, I don't know what color they were going with there. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, we shot a, a neutron through a nucleus. Take that, posterity. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> forget statues and... and genealogy this is now a gift that everyone's going to remember us by <laughs> yeah totally. Yeah. stuff in the desert that will kill you in a hundred thousand years <laughs> well 
you know, may the nucleus be with us. That's all I got to say. Thanks for listening. Our first footnote has to do with antipodes, which are the points on the Earth that are directly opposite one another. I guessed incorrectly that the antipode of Yucca Mountain would be somewhere in Kyrgyzstan. I was about right in terms of longitude. However, any location north of the equator will have an antipode in the southern hemisphere, so it couldn't be Kyrgyzstan. In fact, the antipode of Yucca Mountain would be in the ocean off the coast of Madagascar. The antipode of Stonehenge lies just southeast of New Zealand. Next, we wondered in this episode about the oldest songs and nursery rhymes. I can tell you that the words and music to Patty Cake, Patty Cake, Baker's Man was recorded in a book in 1698, and a version of Three Blind Mice with lyrics and music is as old as 1605. It's worth noting that even those relatively simple songs have changed a lot over the last 400 years or so, so just think about what form they would arrive at after 10 times that long. Nursery rhymes aside, the oldest song that we have complete music and lyrics for is called The Song of Sicilios from Ancient Greek. It's a song written by a husband upon the death of his wife and is a celebration of life and reflection on loss. Seems not much has changed in songwriting over the last 2,000 years. You can go listen to interpretations of it on YouTube, and it's hauntingly beautiful. The English translation goes something like this. As long as you live, shine. Let nothing grieve you beyond measure, for your life is short and time will claim its toll. Finally, we asked for thoughts and suggestions from our listeners on how you would create long-term nuclear warning systems. Our favorite suggestion was killer robots who stand guard over the wasteland, and here's the kicker. They are powered by decaying nuclear fuel as well. Thus, the robot guards will last as long as the nuclear waste remains dangerous. Once the land is safe to inhabit, the robots quit working. That seems just as viable as glowing cats, I say. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to suggest an episode topic, ask a question, or criticize my wildly inconsistent pronunciation of interesting, you can reach us at raceandtylertalkwikipedia at gmail.com or at our Race and Tyler accounts on Instagram and Twitter. See you next week.